Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Welcome back to the No One Fights Alone podcast, where we honor the men and women of our nation's first responder community by having difficult conversations about the challenges that they face. So I'm going to introduce our guest a, a little earlier than we normally do. Uh, Lewis I thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. Glad you're here, bro. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we, uh, we got the privilege to spend a couple of days together, and uh, all three of us were lucky enough to attend the Arbiter Institute Mindset Training. Is that the correct term for it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Outward Mindset Development. Developing the Outward Mindset, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And Lou is, Lou is part of the Chateau team, so we all three... Uh, got to attend the uh, Arbiter Outward, developing the Outward Mindset, and uh, what a great experience. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Give me some thoughts, Lou. What What did you think? Because I know I have my own, and we'll go into that. But yeah. Well, I, I even told the uh, the presenter right before we left, I walked into it going, man, I, I, I teach this stuff to our clients every day. Like, this is part of our program. I know what I'm doing here. I, do I really need to be here? And it took me about three hours before I was like, oh, shit i need this you know i need to i need to refresh myself i need to start you know looking outwardly again because i walked into it with an inward mindset this concept that i thought i knew so i thought it was great i thought it was wonderful really got some good stuff out of it well so for those who don't know like this is very low level of what arbinger is but you know there's a a difference between inward and outward mindset you know inward is i'm the only person that matters and you know everyone should be listening to me i'm the best basically uh, and outward is, hey, what are they going through? Being being a little bit more empathetic, right? Yeah. I mean, any additions to that? Seeing the human across from you, yeah. that type of stuff. Instead uh, of them as an object. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, valuing another person as much as you value yourself. Not more, not less, but valuing people um, on the same level as you value yourself. I think that's kind of a maybe a layman's terms of what, what they're getting at there. Yeah. yeah. And, well, to me it was interesting because we are in the mental health field, right? These These applications are very easy for us to see, right? We're like, okay, yeah, that's pretty easy to see that somebody may do that. But was what was interesting to me was to be a part of a group where everyone else did not. Yeah. I find it interesting to see where people are challenged in this, in that type of training where they just continue to see themselves in inward in the box as it were. And oftentimes don't recognize that they're even in there. They really have trouble seeing outside that. Well, and the, and the thought process is different. Like we work with emotions and feelings mm-hmm. quite a bit, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to be mindful of those and our own also. But these people do not. They're mm-hmm. IT or yeah. there was some law firms or something like that there too. Uh, yeah. VA. A lot, uh, a lot of logistics people there. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Uh, very business oriented. Yeah, technology, yeah. tech. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But I, I mean, the, the reality is, I mean, all three of us sitting here have spent a lot of time of... Uh, introspection Uh, so we've examined ourselves a little bit but one of the things that jumped out at me about that uh, training and I kind of went back through my notes here that you know Dave Moss was the facilitator for that and he said try to find people that are worthy of your curiosity and I absolutely love that to where you know at one point do we give up on people and say you're no longer curious to me and uh, Mm -hmm. we should continue to invest time, effort, and energy into finding out what makes them tick, what drives them, what yeah. so it was just fascinating the way he posed that just, mm-hmm. to, you know, orated that in such a different manner. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Well, story time a little bit too is, you know, we were able with one gentleman who was sitting at our table, 
see the difference between somebody who did not understand mm-hmm. the concept, who day two, mm-hmm. you know, asked a question that was like, and and I don't think that's anything on him too. I mean, this is a brand new concept for him that he yeah. was still. And from some of my conversations with this this guy, uh, he was starting to grasp some of it, but then there's parts of it that are. It's just it's hard to I think really apply that to your whole life all the time in every um, interaction that you have with someone. You know, like he was he was doing it in some at some points, and then at other points he was just completely missing it. And even as I was trying to say at the top of this, like I walked into it missing it. Right. And this is something I do every day. And so these concepts that we work on and work with in this training that we just went to, it's it's easy to slip out of it. Really easy to slip out of it. You know, well, administrative betrayal seemed to be such a huge thing there. Like we talk about it in the yeah. first responder and veteran community, but even more so with the IT guys, it seemed like they were very much on like, well, what if the upper management doesn't care about mm-hmm. me? And what if I'm a product to them? And, mm-hmm. you know. I thought that was really interesting because if we're going to be truthful, I don't, I've never worked for a corporation like that. Hmm. I don't think I want to either. I've, uh, I've worked for a uh, retail company and there's a lot of talk about being family and part of a team and very much felt like I was a number, you know, at most. Right. So there's definitely those jobs out there that are, you, you feel, you know, not so much like a person to, to the people above you. It's a really, really kind of a horrible place to be, to where you've internally minimized your own. Yeah. Uh, you feel like they have, but within yourself, you've minimized yourself just down to almost nothing, a number. Uh, well, think about this, and uh, this was something that was posed to me quite a few years back, and it's always really stuck with me in the workplace, which is, you know how a lot of places will say, hey, we're a family. Well, this person said to me, immediately when they say that I will put in my resignation because family, the family dynamic in general is toxic, Hmm. you know, and family, you don't get to choose family. Yeah. You get to choose your friends and all that kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But to be a family in the workplace means that it's toxic and, and it will never be a workplace. Yeah. I don't think a family dynamic for a workplace kind of gives you equal relationships between your peers, you know, like in families, there's generally, you know, a patriarch, a matriarch, people who teach and, you know, a parent and things like that. And so being a family, someone tends to be lesser than someone yep. and not, you know, not as value as a person, but as far as their authority goes. And I don't know. Yeah. I, I do my absolute utmost to stay away from any verbiage of family. With my current job, my current position, I, I hate it personally. Well, I think it, it finds itself in, uh, as a word, it finds itself in the first responder community often. I don't know that people necessarily agree with it. Just like, you know, you're speaking, Austin, to your, to your point. I think it certainly has a different feel on whatever perspective or lens or mm-hmm. set of glasses you happen to be looking at life through at the time. Uh, it certainly may feel like a dysfunctional family or a family you don't want to be a part of or, you know, opposite being it, it, it very well could be. They're proud of being a part of this, yeah. you know, first responder or veteran family sure, or community. Yeah. There. But, you know, you know, rounding that out with with Arbinger, I, I what a great concept. Great class. Two days of, you know, if, if anybody out there is interested, it's an absolute fabulous way of looking at life, the approach of life of, uh, you know, and, and Dave Moss even said, this is not something you want to 
tackle on as one big picture. You need to tackle this a little bit at a time and practice this little little incrementally uh, at a time. And it's like it's like humility, right? Yeah. I, it, people, um, humble people, as soon as they say I am humble, mm-hmm. have lost humility, right? That's a little bit of the inward, outward mindset. Yeah. If you're outward thinking, as soon as you say. Yeah, we're we're actually we're going to start implementing some of the stuff that we learned in the last two days. Uh, specifically, uh, if you guys remember, one of the last things we did, that list of 52 prompts, the daily application of mindset. I'm getting a big printout of that. We're going to hang it up somewhere in the uh, building here. And I've, I've put it towards uh, some of the staff here of, hey, take a look at that every day. See if you can do one. Try to try to keep that in mind, because I feel like if we do that. If our people do that one, we'll we'll be. A little bit more cohesive, a little bit more uh, cooperative, uh, but then also some of the clients that come here and we teach us, they'll get to see it in action. Yeah. Well, yeah. I loved his reference to like the new car. All of a oh, sudden, yeah. you see it everywhere, right? Yeah. That's the same reference with that list. Like some of those options of like think about somebody else today, or mm-hmm. you know, care more about someone else than yourself today. Mm-hmm. That's the same mindset of like if that's on my mind in the morning. And that's my goal throughout the day. Just naturally those things happen. Yeah. And the situations present themselves mm-hmm. to where I can follow through with that. Yeah. That's such a great uh, metaphor for seeing life uh, just through a little bit different lens, mm-hmm. you know, seeing, oh, wow, that's something new I hadn't seen. No, it's actually been around the whole time. You just didn't see it. Yeah. You weren't eyes open to that. Yeah. Are we, are we all going to hold hands now and sing Kumbaya I, I too? Like, like we're... I feel like we probably should. It's getting a little weird in here. So moving on to Louis Manai, our uh, program director here at Chateau Recovery. That's Uh, me. Man, such a great personality. So this is about let's learn a little bit about our staff, learn a little bit of insight into uh, your background. So Lou, tell us us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah, like you said, I'm uh, I'm the program director here at uh, Chateau Recovery. I'm doing this job for... Coming up on a year now, not the program director piece. I started out as a program staff, as frontline. And uh, yeah, before I was here, I was um, I, I grew up in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm from uh, the East Coast. was in the Army for a quick stretch, four years. A few deployments with the uh, 75th Ranger Regiment. It's a piece I'm a little proud of, you know. It's awesome. Uh, a little feather in my cap, I guess. <laughs> you should be very proud of that. Very proud uh, of that. That's an accomplishment. Well, so I had some time with them. And um, I kind of found myself uh, a little wayward after the military. A few years of working on some mental health stuff that I think I, I compounded and, uh, you know, just really, really made worse throughout my life and uh, did a lot of work on that. Eventually came out west, spent a lot of time kind of traveling around out west, doing a little bit of find myself crap or whatever that is. And uh, yeah, ended up here in Utah and pretty happy out here, you know, I'm haven't looked back too much since I've settled in and started really enjoying this job. So you obviously do a great job here. You know, your military and ranger background lends itself to the leadership and organizational skills that you obviously bring to the table. So, but if we work backwards a little jaunt, give us a little bit of timeline when you said uh, doing some introspective work, like how long are we talking a week, two weeks, a year? You mean after the military? After the military. After the military, well, so it actually kind of started maybe a month or two before I got out of the military. I went, I am not in such a great place. I was drinking a lot. I was uh, using some controlled substances, some uh, a lot of partying that I, th- I thought was just really great. And, and then one morning I woke up and I was like, uh, this is actually not so great. And my mental health is 
actually in the toilet and I need some help. So I went and I saw a therapist with the army. They kind of gave me the, uh, you know, check the box. Yeah. You'd be okay. Make sure you check in with the VA when you leave. Okay. Well, I don't feel too okay, but I'll, I'll go talk to the VA. Well, was yeah. that more like a clinical assessment, like an hour yeah, long? It was about an hour with the therapist who, to his credit, I mean, I just kind of stormed into the office out of the blue and said, Hey, I'm, I'm a little fucked up. And he was like, okay, I don't know who the hell you are, but I guess we'll talk about this. Did his best, I'm sure. And from there I moved out there and it took me a little bit of time to uh, eventually, you know, kind of get the balls to go into the VA and say, Hey, I need some help. I'm going to start with the first piece of it didn't go so well for me, which was unfortunate, but that's kind of the rub of it. It ended up being a very good experience, a very positive part and probably saved my life. But the first piece of it was very rough. I did a initial intake with them, a mental health intake to see if I would get benefits. And uh, I sat down with this third party therapist that the VA sent me out to because they couldn't do that assessment. They had to have somebody outside do it is what they told me. So, um, I sit down with this therapist and she goes, well, tell me uh, a few things that make you feel like you have PTSD or some of these things. And I said, you just want to hear some stories? And she said, yeah, tell me some stories. So I told her a few and I, uh, I was looking down at the ground because I didn't really want to look at her when I was telling the stories. And uh, when I looked up, she was crying, just crying and oh, it's so sad and stuff like that. And I went, I'm never fucking telling another person any of the shit ever again. Hell no, mm. absolutely not. Took me about seven, eight months after that before I was like, "All right, now you need you need to go back. You need you need to see someone. You need to talk to someone." How often do we hear this, Austin? So much, yeah. so much. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've had either a client, a friend, or someone in the first responder and veteran community say, "Hey, I fucking made my first therapist cry." And it absolutely it brings people to. Um, it arrives them to the point of, I don't want to say this. I don't want to talk to this. I am so messed up on a variety of levels. It could be any one of those specific levels of, I don't want to talk about this. I can't talk about this. My experiences hurt that person, which logically I knew. And emotionally I was like, oh yeah, no, I just fucked this person up with my stuff. So I can't speak about this anymore. I can't talk to my parents about this. I can't talk to my girlfriend about this. And brother, friends, stuff like that. People who don't understand, I can't bring this up. It, it shut me down for a while. So that moment that you looked up and saw that clinician crying, and, and, and there's several things that go through your heart and mind, obviously, but one of them being, I just wounded her as well. well I froze, man. I, I was scared. I, I remember sitting in that chair and just having to stop. And I was just like, I, whatever we're doing, this has to be the end of it. Sure. You know, I was, and to be fair to this poor woman, I don't think she was prepped or had any idea of what, you know, was walking through her door. And sure. I just kind of, you know, vomited a whole bunch of shit on top of her. And well, you would yeah. think someone who's contracted with the VA doing a PTSD assessment. You'd think. You'd think, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know? You're doing a great job. No, you're doing a great job. If we practice the outward mindset, you know, theory here i mean that's a human sure, and yeah. we've impacted her or him whatever therapist you know uh, mm -hmm. and i don't think you should should be lost that there are culturally competent therapists out there mm -hmm. who can hear these things and know how to balance that and know how to absorb or deflect you know yeah, the impact yeah. of of what that is so yeah. i just 
I thought I'd pause there for just a minute. Okay, so mm-hmm. so back on target. So you've yeah. you've now turned within. I can't I can't talk about this because mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to make other people. My story is so yeah heavy that I'm going to make other people yeah. impacted. And um, so then uh, that turned into I'll tell people like, oh yeah, I'm dealing with some stuff, but I'm okay and stuff like that, and just quiet it down, keep it uh, under wraps. Um, I did some traveling, and it was a great way to take my mind off things and. Um, Actually, I was in uh, I was in Costa Rica with an army buddy of mine, and uh, we did a sweat lodge, and we did four rounds of the sweat lodge, and I was like, "This is an incredible experience." And then we did round five, and I have my first panic attack of my life, and I remember like I was peeling out of there, I was trying to get out of this kind of compound place where this guy lived. I couldn't even open up the door; someone had to open it up for me. Ran to the beach. Just I wasn't crying or anything. I just I wasn't hyperventilating. I was just really in my head and I was just like oh wow yeah I'm I am not so good and I think when I got back from that is when I'm probably the next week I called the VA and I said uh you guys need to get me um in to see a therapist someone I gotta talk about this shit and that that's kind of where it started and where it uh, progressed for a few years um I worked with I want to say like four or five different therapists over the course of my time there um three of them were great some of them just we didn't connect so much they they tried to get me on um a few of these different modalities that they were doing one of them i forget the name of it but it was um really blanking on the name right now but i would write uh focus on one event and write it out in its entirety every day for a week and i did that and i brought it back to them and they're like all right do it again i did it again all right do it again this went on for like three weeks and eventually i was just furious i'm like nothing's changed and we haven't done any work you just keep telling me to write this stuff and it didn't work so well for me, and I shut down for another two months. You know, and there was there was hiccups in there. There was stuff that didn't quite work, and but eventually, I had these two different therapists that I met with. They prescribed me some meds that worked really well for me. Yeah, I started to kind of uncover and unravel some of the things that I was doing. It wasn't so much like focused on some of the things I saw while I was in the army or did, but just how I digested the world and how I kind of interacted with myself around those things. Yeah. Now, 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 how are you living at the time? You're not active duty. No. So you're surviving how? So it's funny how I justified this in my mind. I get out of the army and I say, well, I'm going to go back and it's 26. And I'm like, I'm going to move back in with my parents for a little bit because, you know, I made my mother a nervous wreck for the past four years. So maybe I should just be in that house with them and, and help out. Right. And make sure my mom knows I'm okay. That's total bullshit lie to myself. Right. Like that was, I was scared shitless and needed to go home and have the comfort of family around me. I was there for a little bit. Uh, then I moved, eventually I moved into an apartment downtown Philadelphia in this really nice area called Rittenhouse Square. But um, I was, I had some odd jobs, uh, worked a retail job, worked a, a graveyard shift at a distribution company. Good job, stuff uh, that were, they paid well and, you know, paid the bills and stuff, but nothing was fulfilling. And another problem that I ran into as a ex-ranger getting out and it was like oh yeah let me go you know throw boxes in the back of a truck from 2 a.m to 7 a.m and paid well and they were this company was kind of like we're going to groom you to be a supervisor and then a manager and you're going to work your way up and after two months of that i was furious i was just angry with myself I was like this what the fuck am i doing i used to jump out of planes this is bullshit. And I, I just kept running into stuff like that. You know, I, I couldn't find any fulfillment. And that would just compound some of these mental health things that I was dealing with and dig me into a deeper hole than I'd have to dig out of. But yeah, that's that's kind of how I, I was for, what was that, about 
three, three and a half years, something like that. Till eventually I get to this point where I go, I don't have much going on for me right here in the city right now. Um, my uh, ex-girlfriend, the girlfriend I had at the time, we had split and I was just kind of in this period where I was like, well, I'm single and nothing's really tying me down to Philadelphia right now. I need to get out of here. I need to just, I need to cut out. And um, got rid of a bunch of my furniture, uh, got rid of about half my clothes, packed my car up and um, headed out west and started kind of traveling around. And um, at this point, I had learned a lot about myself, but I was still struggling with a lot of my mental health stuff. So kind of being away from the society that I was living in and this kind of urban environment, um, I was able to do a lot more introspection and work on myself when it was just me and you know, in the middle of the Badlands and there's not another human being around for 20 miles and, and kind of be with myself and sit with myself and start doing some of the work that I had learned but hadn't really started applying to myself. Did that for eight, nine, ten months, something like that. There's like a sense of freedom with that, though. Sure. You know, like especially the, the time you can spend with yourself can kind of go one of two ways, in my opinion, which is like you either discover yourself or you can't stand one second alone. Mm-hmm. It starts out like that. So first week, something like that, you know, I was, I, I didn't think about anything intro to myself because uh, I was, I was not comfortable with doing that. So it was, all right, I got to move. I'm going to go do a 12 mile hike. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to move to the next spot. And I could not sit with myself. Uh, it took a while to get there, you know, like turning off my phone and keeping it in the car for four days and just not engaging with the outside world. That, that shit was hard. And, you know, it just, drive me a little bit crazy, but eventually the mind would start to quiet down and I'd start to sit with, sit with myself and kind of think through some of these things that I was dealing with. Well, I think, I mean, you talk about putting the phone away, like the power of doing that these days, first off, it's extremely difficult. Oh, it was really hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We were talking, Brad and I were talking about this earlier with like social media and you know, you look up and it's been like three hours, but Mm -hmm when you're able to get rid of that, like that's, I I believe this is one of the reasons I believe residential treatment is so effective actually is because of the disconnection from all of the things that are keeping you from being able to look at yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's why we have a policy here for it. And it's, and it's not as, you know, I know some people think it's just Lou uh, trying to, you know, control people and be a bit of an ass and, don't think it's that, but, um, I really do believe that, you know, that was a big piece for me is being able to kind of shut off the outside world and sit with my thoughts. And that was painful for a while until it wasn't. And then it became very good. And it's really hard to do that when it's so easy to pull my phone out and check Instagram for an hour and yeah. do all those other things that distract you. When, when I was 25, I went 365 days without a cell phone. Well, I had a phone, but it was a flip phone, like, mm-hmm. a old razor and this was you know not so long ago 10 years ago or so yeah man it was great like it was probably one of the, and you know iphones and everything were out by that time and facebook was pretty popular it's 2014 or something like that sure that was the best time of my life i look back at that time and i'm just like i was so present for everything mm-hmm. so if we it, we're looking at Lou, the veteran, the badass, the ranger. I mean, you're, and and now I wish I wish people could see you know this this bearded, long haired, hippie looking yeah. uh, Lou. But <laughs> if we if we go back in time a little bit and look at what made up 
Hulu was before uh, the U.S. military and the impact that, you know, that drove, you know, was there parts of your youth or childhood that lent to uh, this, you know, this mental health hurdle that you're talking talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of like I, I alluded to before, um, the Army and the way I was living was just a way to, to, for me to really, really just, you know, speed up these these mental health things and really just compound them pretty painfully. Um, but throughout my whole life, since probably I was a teenager, preteen, um, had a lot of anger growing up for no reason I could really pinpoint. I was just an angry, angry kid. Took out a lot of that on my parents. Probably dealing with some depression and definitely some anxiety and just didn't know it for a long time, which then, you know, definitely used alcohol to kind of mask that because want to be social, want to be uh, the life of the party as much as you can. And not that I was back then, but I wanted it. And so alcohol was definitely a part of my life that I wouldn't say I abused that badly back then, but it, it definitely kind of coincided with some of these mental health things that I wasn't dealing with as a preteen, teenager, young adult. Definitely started to speed up a lot more in college. I was I started getting really depressed. Uh, I went through a stint um, probably my last year in college where I only went to college for three years. I didn't graduate. But the last year, I, uh, I was, you know, barely sleeping, eating like a meal a day, just stopped going to classes, kind of that standard story, um, drinking any chance I had. And yeah, it's, it just it just kept kind of snowballing and snowballing. And then eventually I got put on uh, academic probation from my university and I kind of went, I need to do something else. I need to give myself a kick in the ass. And um, my parents wanted me to join the Peace Corps. And I was like, maybe I can do that. And the Peace Corps went, they didn't, they just didn't get back to me, but pretty much it was, uh, yeah, you're not a, you're not who we're looking for right thanks, now. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. You're yeah. not Peace Corps material. So, um, <laughs> I had a, uh, drinking buddy of mine and I was 20 at the time, I think, but we, there was a bar that did not card me. So, um, my drinking buddy, it was a, he was a vet. He was a Ford observer with, I don't know how many deployments under his belt, but, um, he, uh, he got me in touch with a recruiter and met with the recruiter that week and uh two months later i was in basic training yeah it was just i was i was looking for a way out i was starting to dig myself into a, a pretty deep hole and couldn't see a way out and the army was a way out for me and it to an extent worked but there were <laughs> some hiccups along the way too of yeah. course yeah so the military gave you an out in the way of building you up into what what would that what would you describe that to be? So I, I never was an organized person, never a very motivated person, except for sports. I loved playing sports growing up, and that piece would motivate me. But even like practicing, I wouldn't do that piece. The military kind of gave me some motivation to have kind of organization and effort in all aspects of my life, from you know, like making your bed in the morning and brushing your teeth and shaving and. There's effort in all of those things. And it kind of pushed me in that direction of I need to have effort in all of my life. The double-edged sword of that, the other side of that was I had effort in my partying and drinking too. And that exploded once I got um, to my first real duty station. We took it very hard. We, we were out three nights a week, four nights a week, drinking and then eventually drugs along with the drinking as much as we could. Work hard, play hard. Oh yeah, it was uh, 
it was a fun time until it wasn't a fun time, right? But but you're learning structure. You're yeah. you're learning some life skills here along the way that are you know yeah. still still present today. I I suspect. Yeah, I mean, I learned the the little bit I do know about leadership. I learned from the Rangers, um, from watching and following some pretty impressive people, kind of leading from the front. I have a tendency to every once in a while I uh, I read through or say out the uh, the Ranger Creed to myself just because there's parts of it that I still resonate with and helps me just kind of keep on the path. Sure. Yeah. I think you're giving yourself a, a little lack of credit when you <laughs> say the the minuscule leadership qualities that you well you know have acquired or the ones that you exude. Right. You run a pretty tight ship, don't you think? Yeah, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I'm doing no, my I best. Yeah. I, th- I think you're. I think you, obviously you can see this humility coming out here because you're you're underselling uh, some of the great things that you do around this uh, this facility. But but to bring us back to now, we're drinking and drugging. Oh yeah, uh, and yeah, we don't, the glory days. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we're having a good time, right? We're oh we're, yeah, we're experiencing life uh, yeah. at a level that you couldn't think possible before. So now we've no. we've. Um, you know, all the great things that, you know, the military does for us at the same time, it gives the, the opportunity to experience some things that maybe aren't as healthy for us. Well, there is, there's some parts of the culture of the military, especially my unit that could probably improve and that's being generous. Like I remember there was a guy who was struggling in his personal life and the, um, recommendation was to take him out, get him drunk, get him laid. And it was that kind of mentality around a lot of things of, uh, you just need to, you know, get laid, get shit faced short, short term solutions for long term problems. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, in crowds like that, mental health is not something that is discussed or talked about because if you are not mentally a hundred percent, then the, I, in my opinion, the view is you are not able to do your job and then you are kicked out of a unit like the Rangers, uh, if you can't do your job, cause they take it very seriously of you being able to do your job. That's not to say that, you know, we didn't have discussions around mental health, but on the ground level, you know, the, the frontline guys, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to hint at weakness because if you're weak, you can't be a ranger. So that conversation there was never really had. And it was just, it was covered with, you know, drink, let's go party, let's whatever it takes to do that. Yeah. And so those, those are some of those pieces that from the military, you also learn. Right. And that's how you deal with it. That's how you deal with the tough deployment. That's how you deal with trouble at home. That's that's those were the those lessons instilled to me from the unit, not maliciously, you know, but that's just the way life was. Yeah. And but at the end, like your ability to be open and to talk about your emotions and those things that you went through, do you ultimately credit the VA with allowing you to open that door? Yes, in a sense, for my stuff specific to uh, the military. I don't think the VA got me there for just like having mental health problems, but being able to discuss things that were rough going through in the military with just anyone, um, which has been a benefit for me here working this job with you know, our clients because not everybody's been in the military. And before, you know, talking with some of my therapists at the VA and going through some of that work and doing those pieces that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to bring that up with just anybody who walked through here you know if they were a vet if they had some similar experiences then oh maybe we could have a closed door conversation but anybody else could you know respectfully fuck off yeah um but But now but now it's different yeah yeah because i want to make sure that you know we spoke before this and you had talked that for you 
the VA had helped? The VA is an interesting animal. There's good and bad in a lot of things. For me, the VA, the medical side of it was very good. Once I got in the door and started getting treatment, my primary care doctor, uh, man, Dr. Lowe in Philadelphia, is a wonderful man. He would, when COVID hit and everything shut down, he would just call me out of the blue to see how I was doing. Like he's, he's a great man. Uh, my therapist that I had, all of them cared, just I didn't connect with all of them or have the right treatment from all of them, but all of them gave a shit and all of them reached out to me. When I was on the road, my last therapist I had with the VA from Philadelphia, she would call me and we would have sessions. I remember I had a session on top of a mountain in Idaho because I was on a hike and I forgot I had a session with her. So I called her at the top of the mountain. We talked for 45 minutes. That's kind of cool though. Yeah, that's pretty know, cool. That's a cool experience. But, but she was very much like, whatever it takes for us to meet, if you're out there doing, taking care of yourself, I'm sure I'm, I'm there with you. She was on board with whatever it took to help me. And so I did have, I'd say a predominantly good experience with the VA. There are some struggles along the way with anything, but yeah, the VA, the VA has been good to me. You know, I think of, uh, there, there's something to this community with uh, first responders and veterans that the therapists that come alongside them, the mental health professionals, these, these great people. And I, you know, we, we, we were a little bit uh, uh, jabbing them early mm-hmm. on in the conversation, but there are some mm-hmm. fantastic people in this community, mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful people who are come alongside to help us. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I find it interesting that they're, they're open to a multitude of ways to help facilitate uh, the growth of a human yeah. uh, within this culture, uh, cultures. Well, yeah. Just like that story. Yeah. What a great story. I mean, they're, they're, they're people and their job is helping us out. And, you know, at least from my experience, they just went, what do you need for help? Okay. That's what we're doing. Like they, there wasn't a lot of questions around it. How can I meet yeah. you where you're at? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I needed. And that's what they gave me for sure. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're journeying through, let me circle us back to, sure. you know, kind of this, we're, we're learning that we've got some mental health challenges. We're getting yeah. healthy, uh, catch us up kind of to, to from there to how you ended up here. So I'd started doing a lot of that work and I, I think I'd kind of made a break fit through with myself sometime in there. I'm not even sure when, because I was spending so much time out on the road and away from my phone and calendars in general. So sure. it was sometime probably in the middle of there, I started to feel like I was really making some breakthroughs. Still kept working on it, kept traveling around, kept seeing things, but I really started to settle in to where my mental health was. Um, so then fast forward a little bit up to spring of 2022, and I get a call from um, the old program director here. Um, he's an old friend of mine, uh, grew up together, we went to high school together, um, and I'd periodically come to Utah and visit him, and he... And just he was like asking when I was next time I was going to come visit. I said, be up in a week or two. And uh, he said, by the way, if you ever want a job, you know, I got openings and you could probably do it. You know, you speak the language, you've, you know, you're a veteran, you, you know, that language too. And I think I hung up with him and I checked my bank account and I had like maybe a couple hundred bucks to my name at that point. And bills coming up, car Sounds payment, a little more appealing gas. Now. And I was like, oh shit, maybe I do need a job. I had no idea what I was walking into. Never worked in treatment before, never worked with, you know, substance abuse as much, you know, and that wasn't so much the conversations I would have with my therapist because I don't know why we just, we just never really focused in on that. It was more about the mental health stuff. And once I kind of started tackling the mental health stuff, that substance abuse really started to fall away from me. But isn't but, that the truth? So yeah. often we yeah. hear, yeah. you know, that, that the, the substance, whatever we're, we're self-medicating with is oh, yeah. 
so often yeah. not really the problem. Yeah, I was I was hurting so much less, and I just never like it. It just stopped being there for me. You know, right. it stopped being right in front of me. Um, but anyway, so I, I come up to Utah. Uh, I meet Danny, uh, CEO here. I uh, have a good conversation with him. I meet Ben, and I get a call from Danny as I'm leaving Chateau saying, hey, uh, when do you want to start? So I said, give me give me a little bit of time. I'm not even sure if I want to settle down yet. I'm still on this great hippie journey of traveling around the country and seeing all this beautiful stuff in this country. But can you fill my gas tank up? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then I yeah. checked my bank account. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, uh, so I hang up with him, and Zach immediately texts me after. Are you going to take the job? I'm like, dude, take a, take a breath. You know, um, I probably decided I was going to take the job two hours later. I was just like, I don't know. Something was pulling me, uh, this direction. Couldn't tell you what it was or the reason besides my bank account. Yeah. It was, it was a little bit more than that though. Sure. You know, it just, it kind of, it piqued my interest at least specifically because Zach was saying I'd be good at it. I'm like, Oh man, I'd be good at it. That's, that's great. Another feather in my cap type shit, whatever. So I start working here and first two weeks, month, I, you know, hair blown back. I have no idea what I'm getting into. I do, um, I do one of the workshops that we do here with the clients and like, I was screaming at, I was screaming at the old program director. Like, what the hell did you sign me up for this? Yeah. Shit. Austin, you've done it too. You I know have. exactly what I'm talking about. So is he. Oh, you, oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about night and rusty armor. Oh, we're talking about night and rusty armor. Yeah. Yeah. I did that my second Fuck. week here. Fuck that. <laughs> it's, it is one of my favorite things we offer here. I would never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can be a squirrel for oh. the rest of your life. Oh yeah. Yeah. I do. I do. I'm fortunate enough when we do have the workshop, I usually pop in. Sometimes I'll sit in on a group or I'll do some of it with the uh, clients, but never a full day again. <laughs> that was enough. Once was enough for me. Yeah. yeah. Just, just for the listeners and all three of us have obviously have been through this, but this is a, um, yeah. This is a life exercise of sorts to of introspection, yeah. um, exercise of humanity of sorts that uh, one of our wonderful yeah. uh, mental health professionals, clinical uh, clinicians here, uh, leads and guides very yeah. specifically, very choreographed. But yeah. it, through the course of it, it challenges so many levels mm-hmm. of your uh, what you how you look inward, outward, all around. It's it's absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And part and so in part of my journey journey into here is, you know, like getting just kind of smacked in the face with all this stuff, the the Arbinger concepts, night and rusty armor, all of these things and just not not really knowing what I signed up for, but I think it was a bit of the uh the ranger in me just went, uh, well this is not gonna beat you. Like you're you're gonna you're gonna conquer this or you're gonna do this. And so I did my best to immerse myself in it fully, you know. I'm, Ben gave me books to read. Um, I, I just started just trying to absorb it mu- as much of it as I could, and this went well. Yeah. So in, <laughs> in saying that, right, like yeah. I think that there's an old nasty habit that people can fall into when they work in treatment, where they make their self care their job. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and yeah. so, what does Lou do, do for self care now? Well, I'm getting myself set up with the VA out here. You know, the uh, the med train still going. I do a lot of stuff. I tried to do a lot of stuff. It's been harder this winter, but I tried to do a lot of stuff outside. So I found on my little journey of, like, like you said, finding ourselves or whatever the fuck. Uh, <laughs> I, I hate that shit, but I don't have a better word yeah, for it. Yeah, that's fair. Same. But yeah, I, I found I found some kind of morsel of spirituality or some kind of peace, whatever you want to call it, out in the woods, out in, out in the desert, being alone with myself. So 
I try to make that a point to do that as much as I can. And that's been really good for me. Uh, I journal, you know, I, I read, I, I do things that are, I try to shut my mind down a little bit from a lot of the noise. Cause I think a lot of that noise of the world was really fucking me up for a while. Yeah. Sure. And you're in the most abused job in the treatment industry. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's where I need to be though. That's, I, that's the masochist in me. Just, yeah. Come oh, bring yeah. the abuse on man. Yeah. That's why you stayed. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. My <laughs> life's going to be hard. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, there is a, there is a, uh, something to be said and it, it's common in this community, uh, of self-help self, uh, reflection community, which is, you know, continue to make yourself uncomfortable, do things that make yourself uncomfortable, do things mm-hmm. that are going to challenge your norm. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I hear you saying. You're, you're getting out and doing, you know, it's a, it's an uncomfortable environment getting out in the woods or the mountains or the desert. And, yeah. and it's even more uncomfortable oftentimes being alone with yourself and alone with your thoughts and, uh, you know, challenging those. And I think that's one of the great things that that's part of the messaging you're talking about, I feel like, and and one of the great things of this facility. Yeah. I mean, I I was, I was not helping myself out at all until I started to make myself uncomfortable. And that started with some of the conversations I had with the therapist. It probably started in Costa Rica with that first sweat lodge. where I was very uncomfortable because it was very hot, but yeah, putting myself in, an uncomfortable situation and then going, where's your mental health at? That, that is what worked for me. That is the piece that I had to run with. And that's what I try to keep doing and in healthy ways. Right. But making myself uncomfortable to check myself, to, to work on my mental health. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, about your work here. Um, let's, because you do, I, I feel like you're being very humble in this, this capacity, but you, you lead well, you're, you know, what, tell us a little bit about, you know, you obviously got a job here um, for the time being. For the, ti- yeah, for the time being, see how this podcast goes. <laughs> yeah, bank accounts a little fuller. The hey, gas tank's full. Hey, that that open road is it's calling. It's calling right? your name. It's time for a walkabout. Is maybe only, maybe in the spring when yeah. the roads clear up. Yeah. Well, we'll what uh, what makes you stay? What makes me stay? Well, when I started this job, I had told the old program director, oh, maybe, "Yeah, maybe I'll come for a couple months." And here I am, a year later, and I'm I'm happy where I'm at now. Big, big part of, of that is the people I work with. I got, a, I got a good group, and the reason I'm doing my best to stay humble is I am not the program director. I don't find myself here without a lot of the assistance I've gotten from them. And I think as a leader, that is an important piece that you need to make sure you are checking yourself on and understanding is that, you know, the team that you work with, the people you work with, they, you, you live and die by them. You know, if they're doing well, you're doing well. I, and that's how I try to handle things is I make our world as best as possible for my team to do their job. Because at the end of the day, they're really the ones who are sitting with our clients or working with them day in and day out. And so my job is facilitating their job. If I make their job easy and more effective and they are able to do their job better, I'm doing my job well. And that's how I've tried to approach every day here. I have failed sometimes, I'm sure, but I think I've had more successes than failures and things have went pretty well. seems to be a common thread here with the leaders that we have brought on the podcast, which is a lot of collaboration, a lot of understanding, a lot of empathy towards their peers or, you know, those that are quote unquote beneath them. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, you guys know the uh, program staff and 
they will never let me feel like I am above them. That yeah. is for sure. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they are, um, they're a tough bunch and they're honestly easy to, to manage and to lead because we all have a common goal here. And our common goal is the people that walk into Chateau that need some help. We are here to facilitate this treatment process for them. And we all bought into that and we're, we're running with that as fast as we can. You know, it sounds like, it sounds like we're doing a, a Chateau commercial here <laughs> on podcast, but I, I, hey, you know, my I, job, man. I won't, uh, I won't leave that without saying the, the facility as beautiful as the facility is <laughs> in the mountains that we're in. Uh, that doesn't, that, that pales in comparison to the beauty of our staff, uh, and how absolutely amazing they are. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're human. They're not perfect, but they, you know, they collaborate to bring about a, yeah. a product that is, is absolutely amazing yeah. to the people who walk through that door and yeah. they're, they're different when they're walking out. Yeah. In fact, we're seeing a couple leave and having spoken with a couple, they're just in such an impact, well, but to it's an interesting conversation on the on the front end right with with some of these people because when they envision what treatment is they envision you know big mansion massages acupuncture it's a day spa it's yeah. a resort i did not i envisioned jail <laughs> yeah and that's that's the other side of it it's either no, or i did yeah, yeah. i did yeah One and that's other. where i was going yeah. next was you yeah. you know that was the other side of it but it's interesting to gather people's perspective when you're describing what the facility looks like and you go, but that does, does that really matter when I'm about to tell you about yeah. what you're going to do for yourself and your family right. and your career mm-hmm. and your, and people kind of don't know how to respond because right. that's not something that they were extremely focused on before. Yeah. They were focused on the mountains mm-hmm. or I don't know how many times I've heard a, a new person come in and say, yeah, I chose you guys because it looked really beautiful around where you are. And I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fair. You'll get to look at the mountains every day for sure. But, uh, we got some work we got to do. Yeah. And pretty much everybody buys into that in a day or two, but yeah. I want to circle back to, to something just, you know, briefly, you said just a minute ago, you said, uh, you said you were happy. Mm-hmm. Is that like the first time in your life you've achieved this or it's been elusive to you? You've experienced it before. Is this something new? Is it different? I definitely think it's something that's been elusive to me in my life. Like I've had a lot of happiness in my life, a lot of good things in my life. I come from a really good, loving family. They they take care of me when they can. But from my own mental health stuff, the sustained and really like, you know, to my core happiness has been very hard to find. And I found it for a little bit in the army and I was very happy and content in there until I wasn't. And then things took a turn and things got dark very quickly. Where I find myself now and with this job, I would say definitely since the army, this is the most fulfilled I've felt in a job, um, which is a big part of that happiness piece is finding something, you know, I, I came into work this morning and we had just spent two days outside of the house and I was annoying the crap out of the staff because I was very, very happy to be back at work and they were yeah. not so happy to to deal with my jolly ass this morning. But oh, yeah. uh, that was the same yeah. thing. Brooke yeah. goes, how was your day spa? Yeah. I go, I never want to go back. <laughs> uh, I'd rather spend every day of my life here. Uh, yeah. I think something to add to that and tell me if I'm wrong, but like you, you've built yourself a life here. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and that's a key part of happiness is, you know, it's not the existential stuff. It's the stuff you build within, but then sure. who you surround yourself with loved ones, friends, family, yeah. all that. Yeah. And, and, kind of being able to build that up on my own terms 
without anything else. You know, it's just, I, I pretty much started from scratch when I came here, you know, I had a couple hundred bucks to my name, a car full of stuff and that was it. And with this job, with the people I spend my time with, I, I just felt like it's started from scratch and been able to build it up in a healthy way for maybe the first time in my life. So it's been, it's been a pretty incredible experience so far. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Lou. Of course. Lou, such a great story. Thank you for, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I, you know, I think it's important to point out that you can see, you can see it. You can see the happiness in your eyes, the peace, there's contentment there. And, yeah. you know, thank you for what you do here. Of course. Chateau. Happy to do it. I was glad to be able to talk with you guys about this. You know, it's, uh, something near and dear to my heart these days. So, uh, yeah, happy to do it. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming on, Lou. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. We want to give a special shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Chateau Recovery and First Responder Trauma Counselors. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues, it addresses the why. Each of their trauma-trained and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the county to treat responders and veterans, in fact it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. First responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour, all-badges, all-uniforms, all-scrubs, educational experience helps you create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. FRTC's National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent licensed behavioral health clinicians, who teach from lived experience not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive, educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, go to their website 911overwatch.org or contact First Responder Trauma Counselors at 970-222-4193. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.